If you would, please grab your notes. Today, I, like I said, you're stuck with me just one more week, I promise, and then I'm going to go back to the youth, and we're going we're gonna to keep on having fun there. But today's title, um, if you haven't been around for the past seven months, anytime I've preached, a lot of people ask me now, what's your title going to be? What's your title going to be? Because um, in youth, sometimes you have to label things differently in order to keep their attention span for the entire length of a service. Some of them are very good at just really paying attention. Some of them you have to kind of nudge along. So my title today is Who Died? Who Died? And if you would, please turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. 1 Kings 19, 1 through 5. Here's what it says. If you don't have it, it'll be on the screens for you. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down. If you have your Bible, underline that, circle it. If you want to make a note in your, in your notes. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he laid down and slept under the broom tree. My wife and I, we were uh, foster parents in Florida before we came here. Uh, we had the privilege and the honor of having um, 19 kids in our home in a matter of a year. Uh, loved every single one of these kids. They were all special. They were all unique. Some a little more unique than others. We had an eight-year-old boy who, um, have you ever seen the Energizer Bunny on those commercials that's just always going and going, and going, and going, and going. We had one of those. Um, and we would take him to the park. But he, he had a lot of energy. But when it came to getting that energy out, it was a struggle. Because physical activity was not his strong suit. He preferred video games and inside where there's air conditioning, because it's always like 110 in Florida. So outside is not an option. And then if he has to go outside, then i got to go outside with him. Then it's like, well, is it really worth it? I don't know. Maybe the video game sounds good. But we went to the park one day, and, and it was probably the only hill in Florida. They had this man-made hill um, at the park. And so I saw the hill, and I thought, this is a great opportunity to get rid of some energy. So I looked down, and I said, hey, I'll race you up the hill. And he looked at the hill, and it was like, nah, I don't know about that. That's, that's a big hill. That's running, sweating. Mm. And I said, well, I mean, if you win, maybe you'll get candy. The moment I said candy, he was like halfway up the hill. And I was like, okay, I got to catch up. So we're running up the hill. He gets up the hill. And when he got to the top of the hill, he had this rocky moment of just, I made it. Yes, he was so excited. He got up there, and I was telling him, good job, dude. You made it up there. I mean, the, the music was playing in the background. He was jumping. I mean, it was a wonderful time. And then I said, hey, I'll race you down the hill. He was a smart kid. He said, well, 
what if, he's going to sell me something right here, right now. He goes, Sammy, what if we rolled down the hill? That would be more fun. What if you roll down the hill and I walk down the hill? Okay. So I said, all right, you roll down the hill. I'll walk down the hill. So I go down the hill. As he's rolling, he gets about halfway down the hill. And somehow, in the midst of all this speed, he stops himself dead in his tracks, just stops there, freezes for a second, looks at me, and then starts screaming. Ah! I mean, he is just going wild yelling and screaming, and I'm thinking, you're not my child. Someone could come and take you. Shh, calm down. Calm down. And he's just yelling and yelling and yelling, and he's holding his hand running down to me. Ah, ah, I'm going to die. I'm dying. I'm dying. What is going on? I get down, and he goes, a bee stung me. As he was rolling, he had um, placed his hand on a bee killing the bee, but the stinger went into his palm, and that was his first ever bee sting. Bees are now of the devil to him, um, and he just went ballistic. He went crazy screaming over this bee sting, and, and when I hear screams and, and yells like that, my first instinct, my first thought is, who died? You know, you just have this moment, or have you ever walked into a room and everyone's just all droopy? And sad, and you walk in, and the first thing is like, is this about me? You know, and then you just, well, wait, who died? Did, this, did somebody die? You know, and you start thinking. But, but I had that moment when he had that scream and that yell. I'm like, who died? Oh, my goodness, what happened? It was a bee sting. A bee sting. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah was having a bee sting moment. He had just done so many cool things, so many amazing things for God. Before this chapter, back in, in chapter 18, he, he had just done miraculous things. If you remember, I preached about um, how he brought water back to the land. He brought rain back. Um, and he, I mean, before that, he did more things. I mean, he completely just went ham, as you saw on the prophets of Baal. But he had just done all these amazing things, and then one person makes a threat against his life. You had just brought fire down from heaven onto an altar. You just brought rain back to a land that hadn't had rain in three years. And one person says, I'm coming after you. And you run and hide. All this stuff to have a bee sting moment. All these incredible things. And then he ran in fear. I've been reading over 1 Kings 19, and, and I've really been reading Elijah a lot just because he's super cool. Um, there's a lot of cool things in the Old Testament, uh, but, but specifically Elijah's story. And, and there's two things in, in chapter 19 that really stood out to me. And I know if you're a youth, you, you really are used to three things. Today there's only two. I'm sorry. So you can make up a third one if you want, um, as long as it's biblical. Um, so, but the first one is this. Stop hiding in the shade. Stop hiding in the shade. Look back at 1 Kings 19, uh, 4 and 5. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. He had traveled. He was scared. And then he just did the only thing he knew to do. God, take me now. 
I just can't. I can't do it anymore. This one person is after me. I just don't know. I don't know. I don't think I can handle it. You just brought rain back. It, it hadn't rained in three years. You can't handle it? I don't know, God. Just, I just, I don't know. And then he says this, I've had enough. You've had enough? I've had enough. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he laid down and slept under the broom tree. Our eight-year-old was um, very dramatic, if you couldn't tell by the bee sting. Uh, homework was an issue. But it's time to do homework. And it was like the Lord removed every bone in his body, and it just, you know, he just, he would just flop in the chair. I just, I can't do it. So, well, we could get a pudding cup beforehand. All of a sudden, the Lord healed him, and he was up there towards the fridge, you know, and it's, it was amazing. But Elijah had this moment that I think a lot of churches around our nation are having right now. Because if you watch the news, if you, if you follow things in the church world, there are a lot of churches who are closing their doors. There's a lot of churches who are splitting in today's day and age. And, and I think they're having an Elijah moment. Because Elijah, after doing all this amazing, amazing things, seeing all the miracles God had worked, seeing what God could do through him, faced one small challenge, one small obstacle, and just said, God, I can't. I've had enough. I just can't do it anymore. I, I, don't, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't have the resources. I have my own job to worry about. I, I can't do this. I can't do that. It's too much. It's too much. I'm just going to sit down under my tree, and you just take me home. A lot of churches in America are having this problem. And, and the problem is this. I, I don't have enough time in my schedule to try to pour into the church, so I'm just going to let pastor do it. And then what ends up happening is pastor's the one pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring until he has nothing left to pour. And then when he has nothing left to pour, there's no one pouring, so then the church isn't growing. And then when the church stops growing, if you're not growing, you're dying. And as the church begins to die, it begins to just get smaller and smaller until the doors close. Or, or, or he stops pouring because he has nothing left to pour. So then people start saying, well, I like it better like this. No, I like it better like that. And then all of a sudden, a split happens. See, the crazy thing is, the, the mindset today is, it's a pastor's job to do the pouring, to do the witnessing, to go out, to make the church grow. It's his job to do this. This is his job. I just want to sit down on a Sunday. I just want to sit on a Sunday, be poured into, and that's good enough for me. The problem is, as the body, we've been called to more than to just sit down. Elijah, he, he had this moment where he sat down under this broom tree and just said, I just can't. I can't. My schedule just won't allow it. 
I just can't do this. I've done this for so many years, God, and I'm just, my ancestors, and, and now the people are just stupid. I can't. You should just, you should just take me home right now. I'm just going to sit down, and hopefully it all works out. I had the uh, the privilege of, of knowing a very wonderful man in, in Florida, and he had been going to church um, probably th- three times as many years as I've been alive. He was a solid man, wonderful guy, always at church, always tithing, very faithful. But when it came to the point of, of volunteering and, and helping, um, that was not his forte, as he would say. And I asked him one time, I said, hey, you're always here. Sunday, Wednesday, you're here. You're always giving. How come you never volunteer for an event? How come you never get involved with this? Uh, What about being a youth leader? What about helping with the kids? And this is what he said. "I I come, I give, and I have community. But it's not my job to make the church grow. That's pastor's job. And I thought about it, and he continued on and started saying, I have my own job. I work my own nine to five. I don't ask pastor to come do my job. Why should I do pastor's job? And the more he kept talking, the more I thought, I don't know. I don't know. And as I was studying for this, I came across a passage in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. It says this. So if we stay here on earth or go home to him, we always want to please him, him being God. For all of us must stand before Christ when he says who is guilty or not guilty. Watch this. Each one of us will receive pay for what he has done. He will be paid for the good or the bad done while he lived in this body. What's 2 Corinthians saying there? We have a job. Other than our 9 to 5, our job as Christians is to witness. Our job is to further the kingdom of heaven. And one day, we will get paid for our job. Do you not expect a paycheck when you clock in and clock out? I've never worked a job where I've just said, you know what? You don't have to pay me this week. Maybe next month. You know what? Two months from now, let's talk about payment, okay? When you do a job, when you do work, you expect to get paid. God's saying, hey, listen, I have a job for you. I have something I need you to do. And, And when you do it, at the end of your job, I'm going to pay you. But your pay is determined on how hard you work. Your pay is determined on what kind of work you turn in. Our job as the church is to witness. Our job as the church is to spread the love of Jesus. Our job as the church is to grow the church so that all may know the glory of God. That's our job. And one day, we'll get paid. But if we leave that to pastor, 
what kind of payment will we receive? If we sit back and say, well, I already work a nine-to-five. I, I really don't have time for this. I can't witness to someone. It doesn't fit in my schedule. What kind of payment will we receive in the end? A lot of people, when I was reading over this, I started thinking. And I thought back to our days in Florida. Shade is God sent when you're outside in Florida. When you see a tree, when you see a spot that has shade, it's just kind of, hey, God, I'm, I'm going to be over here. And you just, you love to stand in the shade because it's always 5 to 10 degrees cooler in the shade. Now that may mean it's only 100 degrees instead of 105 degrees, but it's just nicer. It's easy to just go sit in the shade. And I can remember as, as a kid, we would do like yard work outside or something because um, my mom would call that P.E. as a homeschooler, you know, hey, go pull weeds, you know, and you're like, this has, okay, all right, <laughs> and you go pull weeds, and I can remember as we're pulling weeds thinking, I just want to sit in the shade, I don't want to be out here anymore, this is too hot, I don't want to do this, I'm bored, this is dirty, there's worms, I just want chocolate, why does my mom not like me, you know, <laughs> and you're just going through all this, and <laughs> It's so easy to just go, I just want to sit down in the shade. A lot of these churches that have, have had to close their doors, they have a lot of broom trees. People who got so rooted in their schedules and their preferences in their own lives that they forgot the purpose of the church. Our job as the church not just pastor's job, is to bring glory to Christ. Our job is to try to bring as many people as we can with us into heaven. Our job is to share the love of Christ, not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday night, but Monday through Monday. That's our job. That's our job. And if we think about it with the mentality of, okay, at one point, I'm going to have to stand before my boss. And he's going to look over my spreadsheet. He's going to look at the work I put in. And I'm going to get paid. What kind of paycheck am I going to bring in at the end? What am I doing? Have I wasted my time sitting in the shade where it's easy and comfortable? Because I tell you what, the longer you work, the easier it is to just sit down and relax. My in-laws are in town, and uh, we were repiping the house yesterday. And when I say we were repiping, I mean my father-in-law was repiping. And every once in a while, I would hold a pipe, you know? I'd just kind of sit there and hold it. And I can remember I was, I was holding a pipe and I was sitting there going, man, I could use a break. As he's on the ladder, like, finagling and, like, trying to do this and sweat's pouring, I'm like, oh, I'm an idiot. Never mind. But it's so easy as we're working, as, as we're going, as we're doing, as we're just living life to just say, I just need a break. I just need to sit in the shade for a little bit. I just don't know if all this is worth it. I don't know if I have the time for this. Sometimes we become the broom trees because we're so rooted. 
but it's because sometimes our actions and our attitudes and our conversations with others convince them that it's better to just sit down. That it's just better. It's easier. You know, if, if you can just make it on a Sunday, maybe tithe here and there, you're doing good. You're doing all right. You run in the race. You know, you're still in the race. My dad never taught me to do sports to compete just to compete. Unfortunately, I do not have that nature. Ask my wife when we play cards and connect four. I, I don't just play to play. I play to win. And I will crush you in the process. God has called us to, to do more than just run our race. He's called us to win. He's called us to win by bringing as many as we can with us, by sharing his love while we're running the race. Because it's easy to get focused on the race and just say, okay, this is what I got to do. If I can just take care of me, if I can just do what I need to do, I'll be all right. All the meanwhile, there's people all along this race who are just waiting for someone to just say, hey, come on, you can do this. Hey, you should try this out. Come on. Hey, I go to this church on Sunday. You should really come with me sometime. Hey, I go to this awesome youth group where this youth pastor, he's got like this girl's hairstyle, but he's really funny, you know. He's really cool, I promise. But you should come check it out sometime. Like, we have a lot of fun. It's lit. It's easy to just run the race, but God's called us to do more than just run. He's called us to do more than just hit that status quo. He's called us to succeed. He's called us to win. He's called us to bring as many as we can along the way. Because God started the work in the beginning, but he's called us to finish it until the end. God started the work in the beginning, but he's called us to finish it until the end. Second point is this. It's time to stand up. It's time to stand up. We've been blessed with a pastor who has been standing for over 20 years. That's a long time to stand. And over those 20 years, he has had to stand again and again and again and again. And I know he absolutely did not want to do this sabbatical. But when you've been standing for 20-something years, and you've been standing and standing and standing, that's the case where, yes, you need to sit down, rest, take a nap, I can remember one time, the second month we were here, Scott and I went in our office. Pastor came in, knocked on our door, and he said, guys, I'm going to be in my office. I'm going to take a nap for the next three minutes. Don't, don't bother me for the next three minutes. I'm going to take a nap. Okay, okay. He leaves, closes his door. I turned to Scott and said, I don't even know if I could close my eyes in three minutes. How does he do that? That's pastor. 
always standing, always going, always praying. Because his heart is for this church. His heart is for people. His heart is for Louisville. That's pastor's heart. That's been his heart for over 20 years, standing. One of the greatest reasons we decided to come to this church is because of the leadership of this church. But how many of you know, the longer you stand, the easier it is to get what, what we say in church, burnt out. You get burnt out. There was a study done. It's called the burnout. They did a study in, 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 in the U.S. on pastors, specifically in Pentecostal churches. And the statistics that they threw out, I love statistics, but the statistics they threw out made me a little nervous. But it also showed me how amazing our leadership is here. Because here's the statistics around the U.S. in this study, the burnout. 33% of all children's pastors felt burnt out within the first five years of their ministry. 33%. On average, the, the lifespan, the, the, the time that a youth pastor lasts at a church, on average, the lifespan of a youth pastor at a church is 12 to 16 months, specifically due to having to fill so many gaps. 50% of all pastors feel unable to meet the need of their job due to the work schedule. 90% of all pastors work more than 60 hours a week. 90% work more than 60 hours a week. And I promise you, they do not get paid for 60 hours. Pastor has been standing for 20 plus years. It's our job as the church to stand with him. Not behind him, but alongside him. Ready to go. Ready to witness. Ready to fight. It's our job as the church to say, I, I, I can't just sit down anymore. I need to stand. I need to do. I need to witness. I need to go. I need to share. I need to love. The way I depict most churches is you have your, your staff, and your staff are linked hand in hand. And the job of the staff is throughout the week to make sure they are the first line of defense for the church. When things go wrong, because that never happens, but when things go wrong, they're the ones that will stand there ready to fight, ready to pray, ready to do, ready to go. That's their job is to be there, that first line of defense, the shepherds. But the longer you stand and the more you fight, the harder it gets. The more tired you get. That's where burnout comes in. I used to work as, as a janitor. Um, it was not glamorous. Uh, we, <laughs> it was not fun. <laughs> I worked for a jan as a janitor for almost three years. Um, and, and as I was a janitor, my brother and I, we cleaned um, a campus that was about four to five times the size of this campus. And that was just one of the campuses. We had two campuses. And our job was to clean the campus. 
Now, how many of you know we did not wake up, graduate high school, and say, this is what we want to do with the rest of our life? But that's what we were doing. And we had no clue why, other than we were lazy. But we did this job, and, and every single day, I kid you not, every single day, by the time we got to the end of our shift, we were finishing up, usually having to pick up extra slack, usually having to do a little bit of extra work. We would get to the end of our shift, and we would just sit down. And the moment we sat down, it was like the, flood, the floodgates opened. He would look at me, dude, I hate this job. I'd look right back, I hate it more. He'd look right back at me, want to bet? You're right. <laughs> and we would just go back and forth, oh, I hated this. Oh, I didn't like doing that. Oh, this was just so boring. Oh, I didn't like this. Can you believe that toilet? Who would do that, you know? <laughs> we once found a whole roll of toilet paper in the toilet. Not used, just on the roll, in the toilet. Someone's confused. <laughs> there was not a day where we woke up and were excited to go to work. And it wasn't even hard. It wasn't strenuous. I think we may have even worked only 35 hours a week. Not even a full 40. But those three years in my life... I was the most tired I've ever been because I hated what I did. I hated my job. I hated just knowing I'm waking up just to clean and then I'm going to do it all over again. Day after day after day after day. And then I got into ministry. And I realized that the 35-hour the work week was gone. Because you never realize how many people need somebody at 1 o'clock in the morning, at 3 in the morning. You never realize how many people need somebody when they have a friend who has a friend who's now in the hospital and needs a pastor to come visit them. You never realize how many things don't work inside the church Monday through Saturday, but they work finally on Sunday. You never realize how many students call you asking, I need this, I need that, I'm going through this, I'm going through that. The thing about pastors is we're never really not working. There's never a time where we get to flip the switch off and say, okay, I'm home. I am not cleaning another toilet. Because how many of you know when you have to sit with someone and pray with them knowing that this could be the last time they get to see this loved one? You take that home with you. When that student calls you and says, listen, I, I can't do this anymore. I just want to die. That's not something you leave at the office. When that parent comes to you and says, listen, we have tried everything we can I don't know what else to do. Our marriage is failing. That's not something you just leave at the office. That comes home with you. For 20 plus years, our pastor has been standing 
working nonstop, going out into the community, talking to people, witnessing, befriending people, making sure that this church is growing, that it's healthy. He's been standing for a very, very long time. It's time that the church stands with them. As he's preparing to return, he needs to know that people are here ready and willing to do more than just come in on a Sunday, tithe, and do it all over again. Because that routine can become old. That habit can begin to root, and before you know it, that's all you ever do. We have to stand with our pastor. We have to witness. We live in a city that needs Jesus. Just like every other city, it needs Jesus. They need someone throughout the week, not just on a Sunday, but throughout the week, to show them compassion, to show them love, to show them there is more than a nine to five. I can show you. I can help you. It's our job as the church to stand. Because it's easy to sit down. It's easy to wait. It's easy to want that missionary, that pastor to come in and do the job. But what we found over the years is that you are the best missionary for where you are. You can make the most impact wherever you are. If you wait for a pastor, a speaker, a missionary, or someone to come in and do that work for you, it's going to be more effective if you are the one doing. I could walk into any high school and begin to speak and talk and get to know kids, but most of them will just see a weird dude with a lot of facial hair who's trying to get them to understand this Jesus guy. It's going to be more effective coming from the people they sit at lunch with every single day. I could come into your workplace, pastor could come into your workplace and preach a killer message. He could witness like no other. But it's going to be more effective coming from the person they work with every single day. It's time that we stand up and say, Satan, enough is enough. This is our city. This is our church. We're going to stand with our leadership. We're going to stand with our members and say, this is our city. No longer will you have a hold on this Satan. Back in verse number 9 in, in 1 Kings 19, God has this moment with Elijah as he's under the tree, and, and uh, he kind of moves on, and, and God feeds him, and he moves to a cave. And he, he goes down, and he, he rests in this cave after traveling for 40 days and 40 nights. And as Elijah's in this cave, God, God in verse 9 just kind of asks him, he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing? It's like when you walk in, and you've asked your kid, hey, I need you to clean your room, and you walk away, and you come back like in two hours, and nothing's changed. And you're like, what are you doing? What are you, do like, what are you doing right now? What are you doing? 
And then Elijah has a response for the ages. Look at this in verse number 10. Elijah replies, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. Check this. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. I love how in verse 11, God doesn't respond to any of it. It's like that parent when, when their kid's just, I can't, I don't want, I and it's just, uh-huh, okay, do it. Just stop, stop it. As Wes would say, just stop it and do it. Verse 11, this is what God says. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. Now, that's a windstorm. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Verse number 15, then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came. Elijah has this moment with God. He experiences the first earth, wind, and fire album. Okay. He has this moment with God, this mighty windstorm, an earthquake, fire from heaven. And the thing that gets him going is a whisper. He hears this whisper, and it's like, that's him. That's him. That's him. And before all this, God, God asks him, you know, what are you, do what are you doing here? As if God doesn't know. What are you doing here? God displays his awesomeness, his power, and then asks him again, what are you doing here? Twice God asked Elijah the same question. And twice, Elijah gave the same answer. But what changed the second time was his heart. Because it goes on after that. God tells Elijah, I, I need you to anoint the next king of Israel. I need you to anoint your predecessor, Elisha. He asks Elijah to do all this stuff. After, after displaying all this power, after displaying his mighty righteousness, Ask him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah doesn't change his answer one bit, but what does change is his heart. Elijah didn't wait for circumstances to change. He didn't wait for the, ch the question to change. He changed his heart. It can be easy to wait for your circumstances to change. It can be easy to wait for your schedule to change and open up. It can be easy to wait for your finances to change. 
But what God's really calling you to do is to change your heart and go. To change your heart and obey. To change your heart and love. To change your heart and witness. It's easy to get wrapped up in a nine to five. It's easy to get wrapped up in kids, marriage, schedule, finances, cars, sports. But what we need to do is listen for that gentle whisper and obey. No matter what it is, no matter what it says, obey. When we're in the grocery store and we're just there for our five things on the list, if you're like me, it's the five things on the list and whatever good things you see while you're there. But that whisper that comes when you're in the store and you just want to just stick to what you've got, stick to what you're doing because you're on a time crunch, but God says, hey, I need you to talk to that person. Hey, I need you just to love on that person. When you're at the gas pump and then God says, hey, I need you to pay for that person's gas, and you go, God, I don't think you saw my bank statement. That's, that's not in the budget. But that whisper says, no, I need you to go. I need you to do. I need you to stand. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12 say this. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and the authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. As the church, as the body, it is extremely hard to not want to just sit, get poured into, and go home. But as the body, as the church, we've been called to do more. Because see, Satan, he loves to get people in this position right here. Comfortable. Relaxed. Routine. This is what Satan wants. He wants you to just get, you know, just, oh, that's nice. If you're like me, I'm going to get in trouble here. You just lean back. Christian, I know. Chairs were made with four legs for a reason. I'm sorry. I'm putting it down. This is where Satan wants us. Sitting down. Comfortable under our broom tree. Waiting for things to get easier. Waiting for life to get better. He wants us to just sit here. He loves when a church has the, if you build it, they will come mentality. If we just pour into us, if we can just pour into what we're doing, they'll come. 
never leaving the four walls of the church. We've been called to more than to just sit. It's funny, later on in verse 18, when God is just kind of reprimanding his child. And he tells Elisha, oh, by the way, there's still 7,000 strong who are following me. Oh, by the way, you thought you were the only one left, right? This is what you've been complaining about. They've killed everyone and it's just you. Oh, by the way, there's more. Because I know how it can feel to feel like you're the only one doing something. I know what it feels like to feel like you're the only one giving and caring and loving. And then you sit down under that broom tree and go, God, why is nobody else? And then God in his loving way just goes, well, by the way, by the way, you're not alone. You're not the only one. It may seem like you're the only one that cares. It may seem like you're the only one that loves. And so you get frustrated. You get tired. You start to think, well, what's the point? Why should I? No, no one else is doing it. Why, why should I even care? I just want to sit down for once. And someone else should do it. I've worked so hard. I work a nine to five. I do all of this. I don't have time for this. Let pastor take care of it. Let the board take care of it. Let the staff take care of it. That's not my job. I just want to sit down. The problem is, as Christians, the moment that we relax, the moment we decide to sit down, the moment we decide we've met the status quo, that's exactly where Satan wants us. God is coming back for a church that says, I don't want to sit down. I don't want to wait. I don't want to let someone else do it. I want to stand. I want to go. I want to do. I want to be right there on the front lines with my pastor. I don't want him having all the fun witnessing. I want to do it too. No longer can I just sit down hoping that something is going to happen. I, I want to make it happen. I want to hear the whisper of God. And when I hear that whisper, I want to obey. would it be when pastor comes back next week he comes back to a church standing ready to carry his vision ready to carry his dream ready to carry the word that God has put in him for this city not having to rally the troops and get the rah-rah going and, and get everyone excited but coming back to a body that says pastor we're here ready to stand with you we're here ready to fight we know exactly what we're fighting. It's not the grumpy people out there. It's not the people that cut me off. It's not the people that go 20 in the fast lane. 
We're standing because we're fighting the unseen. We're fighting the spiritual realm. We're fighting the stronghold that Satan has on our city. And we're not going to let you stand alone. We're going to link with you arm in arm. And we're going to fight. We're going to go. We're going to get outside our four walls. We're going to take that opportunity at the grocery store, at the gas station, at the restaurant. Because we know that all of us will one day have to stand before our Father. And we'll have to answer for the time He gave us to work. How are we using that time? As the church, we should always be bringing life. Anywhere we go, we should be bringing life. So the last thing I want God to ask on that day, when we get to heaven, the last thing I want him to ask is who died? Did you bring life or did you bring death? Bow your heads. You've been listening to a sermon from Louisville First Assembly. For more information, visit www.firstagonline.com. That's www.firstagonline.com.